0: so welcome everyone to episode 63 of the slow spin society podcast my name is amanda and joining me as always is paul but not rob today
1: no rob today he is gone he's he uh, the us. little
0: fucker is on vacation <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh today we'll be talking about uh the legend you know under the cheetah or with his real name is nelson fails
1: today we are it's a history episode people and it's gonna be great but talking about things that made history yeah, uh, this pre-show was pretty good. We talked about Amanda's new bike, a really good but terrible ride that I did. Uh, but if you want to hear more about all of that, then you should listen to the pre-show. You can access the the you can access the extended conversation at patreon.com/slash podcast. But let's get into the show.
0: I feel like a really good and terrible ride sums up perfectly.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, it's. Yeah, it's, uh, exactly. I don't know how to describe it otherwise.
0: Oh, that's the perfect description.
1: <laughs> yeah, if you want to know more
0: about his amazing but horrible ride, listen to the pre-show.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a, it, it's kind of a definition of like a really good Halloween night. You know, it's supposed to be terrible because you get scared to death, but you still get the candies at the end. Mm. So, Yeah. It was, a, it was a summer Halloween ride, let's call it okay. like that. All right. Like Amanda said, we're going to talk about Nelson Vales uh, and the incredible, the quite incredible story following him. Mm. So Nelson was born and raised in a new housing project in Harlem. He was the youngest of a family of 10 siblings. Mm. Uh, mm. And his first introduction to cycling was through a Christmas family tradition where kids received a bike on Christmas on the 25th of December. So, Nelson always described himself as the spoiled brat of the family because he was the youngest. (laughs) Something really tragic that happened is a month prior of Nelson being born, one of this older brother got killed in a tragic incident. So yeah, the parents kind of spoiled him and he always failed that way. And when you listen to the interview of his siblings, they're all like, yeah, he was the spoiled one. He was definitely the spoiled one. New
0: bike day every day.
1: New bike day every I day.
0: Wish.
1: I, wish. I was the first of the family. I, ha- I have little, a little sister, so she was the spoiled one.
0: Mm. So yeah, um, riding his bike around. Um, He also skateboarded Um played football, um, and all sort of different games of his age. And there was a really tight and big community in the housing project. And uh, uh, Nelson made friends uh, that he still knows to this day. Uh, one thing you can be sure, though, is that Nelson's fascination is for speed. So something that he will keep all his life is just to go fast. A bit like <laughs> <you>. <laughs> uh So yeah, Central Park was only five blocks away. So when he was not around, you for sure could find him doing laps over there on his bike.
1: Yeah. Have you you ever rode into Central Park?
0: No, unfortunately. I've been to New York City a couple of times. Um, but I've never biked. Never biked there before.
1: I've been to New York City, I've biked there before, but I've never done a central lap a central park lap and after writing all of this, I kind of feel like it's legendary status over there.
0: Yeah, I feel like there'd be so many people.
1: Also, yeah.
0: Just like like whipping in between people, all the time. It's definitely dangerous.
1: Yeah, no, hundred percent. I know there is a. They sometimes make race over there. Oh yeah. Uh, and there is like a club the. The DCC, Destroy Cycling Club. They also train quite a lot over there. Uh, Yeah, I've never been. That's on my my bucket list. Interesting. So our little Nelson was nothing but speed in mind because he's a speedy boy. Uh, Nelson was really looking up to a group of uh, kind of a biker gang, you know, called the Black Unicorns. And one of the member gave him his first proper bike, his first race bike, right? It was a Peugeot, Peugeot. PX-10 uh, French bike. That was a kind of big for him, uh, but it was his first introduction to a real road bike. And the PX-10 at the time was one of the best bikes you could buy. And even if, I mean, I looked at pictures today and it's not the sexiest bike you've ever seen uh even for a vintage thing but it was still a considered top of the line
0: yeah do they i think people still ride peugeots in the city right these days no? oh you see
1: so many of them in paris yeah
0: yeah i've i've worked so on crappy. so many yeah in montreal yeah. i just always repairing peugeots
1: you know the funny thing is Peugeot's in general are pretty bad bikes. Yeah, and when you see a Peugeot on the track or into like Tour de France or stuff like that, like years ago, it was not built by Peugeot. It was built by proper frame builder, and they just put the Peugeot name on it.
0: Hmm. Okay. So back then, so that those would be better quality compared to the those that... would
1: still be like uh, mass-produced Peugeot. Mm. I but on, only like, you know, like athlete-sponsored bikes and stuff. Mm.
0: Mm. So yeah, shit bike.
1: <laughs> <laughs> shit bike, but still still top of the line. I would say in today's standards, it would be, I don't know, like maybe like a Cannondale Cat 12 or something like that. So a good mm. bike, you know, mm-hmm. but still yeah. mass-produced.
0: Hmm. Interesting. It's crazy to see how... Yeah, when when, uh, I watched a documentary on on him and it's crazy to see how like in such a small period of time, the evolution of bikes, just like technology, crazy, crazy, crazy.
1: We're going to see later, but at the beginning of his career, it was, yeah, like really, you know, like super narrow and thin rims. And then his career was not that long anyway. But after his main title that we're going to talk about later, it was the beginning of like carbon tri-spokes, carbon disc and all that stuff.
0: So uh, around sixteen, seventeen, his brother started talking, taking him to some cycling races in Central Park. And then after a few months of going uh, to every race and winning some titles uh, here and there, He gets a license at the CRCA, so it's the Century Road Club Association, uh, that still actually uh, exists to this day. And it was founded in eighteen ninety eight in New York. It's a volunteer association that creates cycling events in New York City. Eighteen
1: ninety eight, and it still exists.
0: Yeah, that's that's a long time ago.
1: That's a long time ago. That's
0: before the war. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Before the war.
0: People riding bikes before the war.
1: <laughs> what? So he's doing all those. He's doing all those races in uh, in Central Park, uh, organized by this association. And a year later, I would say around 18 years old, he's offered a place into the team Toga Tempo. Turn the bolts. So it's a city team. with, you know like slightly bigger means. So they have like. Team jersey, team guard, team bikes, etc. So on a few pictures, you can see him. He has like a big toga jersey. And it's like they're green and gold. So kind of a flashy jersey. But again, it's the 80s. And it's also at this moment that people in his team are going to tell him that he should work as a messenger for trading. So this is his first introduction to fixed gear. You know, people were like, you're going to work as a messenger and you're going to ride a face gear for training. And he started as a rookie and people told him, you need to learn how to spin. So he was riding a 52 21 ratio. Shush. That is ah. really, really light. Let oh. me, let me calculate how much is a 52 21 what the fuck it's 2.47 it's track lacrosse territory what? so that was the goal that was to learn how to pedal smooth and at the time he's uh, his coach favorite saying was knees in pedal around pedal smooth and that's something that will follow him all his life is knees in Pedal around, pedal smooths.
0: But why such a tiny ratio?
1: I don't know, but yeah, I I guess it was a. I mean, I've heard that around and I think it's probably true, but if you ride with a tiny ratio, you learn how your pedaling gets smoother. Mm. But I also heard people debating with that, so. I don't know which one is real which one is not. I always write the same ratio so I don't know. Well, I know is that he quickly got into the top careers uh of New York City. So when you start as a rookie, you have a um, you you're getting 40 cents on a dollar. So for example, you're doing like I don't know like a $4 delivery. Well, you get 40% out of that. Uh, and then when you're not a rookie anymore, you get 50 and then 60 cents. So at the end, he was paid 60 cents on a dollar, which is a lot. And all of that because he was fast, even with that ratio, but also he was riding on rainy day on rainy days. So lot of motivation in Nelson.
0: Yeah, it's such a ni- it's a nice thing to see. He came from the messenger background. Kind of gives yeah. hope. <laughs> yeah,
1: I have hopes. Yeah, really. <laughs> <You have> hope. <laughs> so uh, in
0: 1979, um, he was introduced to the Kissena Velodrome in New York, and he rapidly learned, uh, learned that sprinting was his thing. It was fast it was explosive it was everything nelson liked it was only a matter of time before he took the title of sprinter national state champion and it's around the same time that he got approached by eddie b the national team coach uh, asking nelson if he wanted to be part of a winter training camp big moves big moves
1: big moves also, the Kisina Velodrome. Uh, I think they're starting to, uh, they're starting like complete renovation this month or oh. last month because it is in pretty bad shape. And if you if you still wanna participate to the renovation, you can go on the Kisina Velodrome website and you can I think you can buy like a meter, and I think a meter is. 400 bucks
0: Hmm.
1: yeah i i I looked it up and because it's just outside of new york uh i mean it's not in the right zone kind of they can't have help from the city so everything needs needs to be paid by people who ride at the velodrome
0: which is crazy so it's like the community investing yeah,
1: exactly. Wow. I know people at Kenkog and uh, uh, the guy from Affinity are really involved into like the renovation um, of this village. Wow. Yeah. If you're from New York, they might need some help.
0: Yeah.
1: Anyways, so at the time, uh, Nelson didn't know that the training camp was for the national team. But he decided to make as much money as he could as a messenger, then quit his job and go to that training camp. The coach, ADB, soon realized that Nelson was like a road diamond. He saw a kid full of brute force and potential, but it was in desperate need of more finesse. It's at that point that Nelson is also going to learn that sprinting is also a mind game. It's a 1v1 race where every half turn of a crank can be an opportunity or playing against you. It all depends on where you place, how you place yourself. Yeah. It's all about being at the right place at the right moment. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And after the camp, he didn't get an official letter like he was in the national team or anything. But his new goal was to be at the Olympics of Los Angeles four years later in 1984. So he continued training with Eddie B and other coaches uh, with the hope of making the Olympic team. So like Nelson was saying, uh, going to the Olympics Olympics is easy. It's making it onto the team. That's the hardest. So if you're on the team, the rest is easy especially in the 80s when America was crushing the rest of the world when it comes to cycling.
1: Which is true. Yeah. Like in any form of cycling, track cycling, road cycling, America was freaking everywhere. So that was 1980, around that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh So he did the training camp, et cetera. And then from 82 to 83 he raced in eastern europe so czechoslovakia poland etc to train more and also to make money it's also during this period that he learned how to ride like a pro how to eat like a pro basically how to live like a pro rider and Uh, he wasn't on
0: the national team during his travels
1: no he was not it was just it was just his coach telling him hey you go there mm-hmm. and you go win those races and then you come back. Yeah. So this training was so important because there is only one sprinter spot on the Olympic team. Uh, there is only one 1v1 race. So only one spot for a sprinter. And at the time, four of them were fighting for it. In the end, all of that training uh, uh, and foreign trips were a hard decision because... Nelson was already a dad at 16, what? so leaving everything to pursue his dreams was a big deal. And he later told in an interview that the fear of losing just one race was him yeah. motivated and on the track. He had that kind of pressure at every time he was on the starting line. Mm.
0: Yeah. It's also, I guess, like, where, you know, he he was brought up, his origins and, you know, all his entire, like, situation, life situation definitely probably had an, an impact on him to train yeah. harder, to work right. you,
1: It's during a, it's, I mean, we're still in the middle of the Cold War, so you have an African-American dude wearing an America jersey going to ride in Eastern Europe. Mm. It's kind of sketch.
0: Definitely. Yeah, probably dangerous.
1: Probably dangerous. dangerous.
0: Yeah, so in 1983, he takes the first place Pan American Games in the individual sprint. It's also at this moment that he knew he had a chance to make it on the team. There was only one last thing standing between him and the Olympic team. His name is Mark Gorski. He is the actual favorite and needs to beat him if he wants to ride on the track of Los Angeles next year. So, the rule at the time was if you win, you go. So, the two training partners went for a final decisive round to know who is a sprinter for 84. So, when Nelson finished second, and like that, all hopes to go to the 84 Olympics vanished
1: after four years of training.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, I don't even know how I would be able to cope with that.
1: In one race, you kind of lose everything.
0: Yeah.
1: One thing that he was saying into his interview is that he knew that at the end of high school, He was going to be like a pro-athlete. And I guess when you're a pro-athlete, the final goal is the Olympics. But yeah, like you train super hard for it and and then you don't make it. But, and this is, I think, the best moment of that story. So... A few months later, the Soviet Union uh, announced the boycott of the 84 Olympic Games in L.A. In total, that's 14 countries of the Eastern Bloc that just announced that they would just not take place in the Summer Olympic this year. And like I said earlier, we're still in the middle of the Cold War so, there is a hypothesis going around that the boycott is the revenge on America's boycott in the 1980s Moscow Summer Olympic. Um. And at the time, it was the USA and 65 other countries that didn't participate in the game for some geopolitical reason in Afghanistan. But, still, they just they decided... The, the Soviet Union decided that no, we're not gonna we're not gonna do the, the Olympics. And at the time there were a lot of good athletes that were coming from the the Soviet bloc. So they made a decision. The Olympic committee decided that because there were so many athletes that were not gonna be there for some sports that decided to add people so now it was not only one sprinter but two sprinters allowed on the team meaning number one and number two were able to go to the next olympic meaning it was gorski and nelson veils he made it yeah he made it
0: yeah must be such a relief it's crazy, I find, to see how politics gets all mixed up with the Olympics. It's a shame. Yeah. yeah. It gives so much more pressure. So Nelson will get into a track stand contest with the French, as a sprinter usually does, but our favorite American skipped his way in there rather than just slowing down. Rumor says that this superior experience of track stand was learned during his messenger days. And which will help him take the edge over his competitor. So in the end, both Americans will take the victories over their rivals, and a double podium was assured for the USA. But only one could get the gold.
1: So the nation is relieved because they know they're going to get silver and gold, but now it's a matter of who's gonna get it in the interview nelson was saying i know he's a little bit better than me i know i also i beat him a couple of times already so it's gonna be tight
0: yeah and they always train together so they both of them know their moves yeah they know
1: each other's technique so there was. this was probably like a long and stressful night for our two competitors. Nelson said in an interview later that he remembered vividly eating a burger at 2am with his coach, going over every possible strategy to win first place the next day. Sad truth is that Nelson did win. Uh, you can watch it. Uh, the race, I'll put the the joke into the show notes and they have a big part of the race in there, but it was a combination of shown mind games uh, on the track and Nelson was also looking like he was kind of playing it safer than usual against his training partner but it was still a very, very good fight Uh, but not the one that everybody wanted apparently also i guess was your training buddy uh, you don't want to go all out and get your elbows out and risking the crash Mm. when you know both of you are on the same team
0: yeah already he he got his dream and made it to the olympics so i think he was people also say that he was probably also just satisfied with that you know yeah. whether it was second or first he made it on the podium he made it to the olympics so i feel i feel like uh, it's still a pretty good accomplishment
1: it's a good accomplishment and there's a lot of athletes that will get really disappointed that they only got second but mm-hmm. he kind of embraced it as it is you know it was yeah. like yeah i got silver this is good
0: yeah, and I guess also having the two Americans on the podium makes it f- you feel like it's a double win. You
1: know? True, yeah.
0: yeah. Changes the, the atmosphere, I guess, a bit. <laughs> so it's Mark Gorski that takes the gold, and Nelson later will say, we were equal in speed and we were equal in tactics, but he just outpedaled me. So, of course, Nelson winning only the silver Kind of fell short of the fairy tale story of the Harlem kid ex messenger pushing his way through the Olympics. So Mark had a way more normal origin story, with years of club practice in road racing from a young age and not much to add to the drama table. While Mark was well aware that Nelson's popularity was picking up steam and that if he didn't win, win this, nobody will remember the name Mark Gorski.
1: When I told you we were making a an episode about Nelson Vales, I asked you, "Do you know that dude?" And you answered me, "Yes." But did you know the name Mark Gorski? No. Me neither.
0: Mm, oops. Messengers for the wind. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I I I knew the african-american looking super buff on his bike nicknamed the the cheetah and was like the the american jersey i know that picture and i think all of you know it and if you don't it will be in the show notes but yeah it's, mark gorsky yeah mark gorsky mm. never heard that name never yeah. and he won gold
0: hmm yeah sometimes it's not about the podium sometimes it's just about the person yeah
1: exactly the person
0: yeah. is the gold medal
1: sorry what did you say?
0: no it's like it's the person the gold medal not the gold medal itself
1: aww aww <laughs> cringe cringe <Grinch>. help
0: <laughs> help <laughs> sorry I was too cringed yeah, no. <laughs>
1: made you forget <laughs> just in my brain my nerves shutting down to preserve themselves <laughs> What was not on the plan is the complete overnight success of Nelson. When you ask him if overnight success exists, he's going to answer you yes. But It is exactly what happened. The team phone was constantly ringing with sponsor deals, reporter calls, and more. Nelson stayed focused because he had to. The next day, he took a flight to Tinseltown where the national championship were happening. He got first. So he got the gold in divi- in individual sprints and in tandem sprints. Then he took a flight back to LA three days later for the closing ceremony of the Olympic. Proper oh. rock star. Mm. Let me just do the Olympic, take a yeah. freaking plane, go yeah. to the national championship, Getting two gold medals and then going back for the closing ceremony.
0: What a boss.
1: What a boss.
0: Just casually hopping on a plane. Exactly. Let me go to my race. Let me win. Let me come back. Baller. So, yeah, the day after the Olympics were done, the entire team, and especially Nelson, had uh, media training. They did uh, bring back nine medals this year. Sheesh. Uh, And including gold medals in the men's and women's road races. So Mark Gorski got the gold, but it was Nelson who was invited on TV shows, getting deals with brands and making ads for Coca-Cola, Levi's, Ray-Ban, etc. So he was still not giving up on the gold, though. The new objective was the Games of Seoul in 1988. So Nelson went to Europe again to train and make money. But this time, he also traveled to Japan, where he made a lot of cash. It's at that time that you can see him racing a few serenchos, sometimes equipped with old zip wheels. But neither Mark nor Nelson will make it on the Olympic team for the Games of 88.
1: Yeah, and the 88 Olympics for the U.S. was kind of a disaster. Oh, yeah? In track cycling, they got one bronze medal, and that's it. That, that's all they got. Oof. Yeah, from Should the...
0: brought back uh, Nelson and Mark
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. From the nine medals, they got, like, four years prior to that. So, yeah, the Soul Games, kind of a disaster. Uh, and then uh, Nelson officially ended his career in 95. You know, he was racing in Europe, racing in Japan. He still had a wife and a kid in the U.S. And things happened and he decided to just end it there, you know. There was a plan for him to coach the national team. But unfortunately, it didn't happen for some reason. Uh, a little bit later, he said, I retired and left the sport and didn't have an opportunity to work for the USA Cycling during that time, translate my talent to the next generation of Olympians. So I left, I traveled the world, I went and did other stuff. So now I'm an old dude with a nice bike and was my name on some clothes, which is ballers. Today, Nelson is still an avid cyclist doing what he does best, bringing people together. At 60 years old now, he is still riding to this day to motivate people of all colors and ages to stay active by hosting bike rides and sharing the story of his remarkable rise to fame. I just want to sum it up real quick. But that dude went from 0 to 100 really fast. Mm. He went to training into central park to going to the olympics getting a silver medal and transforming himself into american hero overnight in less than four years how cool is that yeah yeah it's
0: really crazy it's a remarkable story
1: it is you can also see him uh have you ever seen that movie quicksilver No. It's a very, very old messenger movie. And you can see him playing a messenger in New York City in that movie. (laughs) That's sick. That's sick. I think the best thing, at least for me in all my research, is some of his bikes were absolutely bangers. So he had that... Um if you scroll down a little bit, I put some pictures. Yeah, he wrote a, r- a
0: rally. Uh
1: but yeah, he had a Riley that was so cool, like so so cool. I don't know, it's super simple, but it's probably because he's on it that it is that cool. Yeah. And then later during part of his career in Japan, so he was riding a San Rancho, which is also legendary status, Japanese frame builder, the best of the best. And if you don't know who Sanrenshu is and you're listening to this, I highly invite you to read one of my last articles onto some frame builders. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just bonkers. Everything that happened after that and the story in itself is really, really cool. I was going to ask, have you ever done 1v1 sprint?
0: No, no.
1: Me neither. No,
0: never. I would definitely like to do that. Yeah.
1: I don't know the rules exactly, but when I see them, you know, like track standing, not trying to pass the line, it is such a mind game. Yeah. It looks like so much pressure
0: but yeah it's like also i found it strange like seeing how slow they went yeah in the beginning and then like the last lap, you just explode
1: yeah kind of crazy but also kind of cool
0: yeah do they still do that now
1: i think so i mean there's probably a rule that says that you kind of need to pace yourself until some point oh. because they, they always start slow so uh-huh. if you are a little bit tricky you just start 150 percent from the start and the other guy who was supposed to start slow gets surprised and then you bit him like this huh. so i don't know if it's an official rule or a gentleman's rule or i don't know i have no idea
0: Yeah, I don't know either. I wonder what ratio he rides in the (laughs) the track.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Probably probably something pretty heavy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, He's a huge dude. Yeah. And that's another thing I was going to say. It's crazy the pictures of him on those little track bikes, super like thin welding and like aesthetically beautiful lines and everything. You just see this like huge
1: guy yeah like on one thing that is a hundred percent sure is if you look at the picture of him and mark gorsky on the track uh, after after mark's victory he looks nelson looks so much better into that jersey than mark's does Looks so much when? better he just looks so oh. much better in it because yeah. he's you know he's uh he has really large shoulders, and he's mm. he's smaller than Mark, but he's more buff, I would say mm-hmm. and Mark is a little bit taller, thinner it just doesn't look as good yeah
0: i i also that's another thing I was like i also noticed is that how bigger he is compared to Mark, and I would have been intimidated if I was mark. I would like immediately see, look at Nelson, and be like, okay, "Yo, this guy's gonna destroy me." <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, but they were training partners, so yeah. they knew, they knew yeah. each other. Yeah. yeah exactly. Can you imagine the pressure? You know that you're gonna face your training partner for the last three years the next day, and you need to sleep um, on that. How do yeah. you do that? I don't know. Anyway. A huge open opportunity that Nelson got uh with what happened with the Soviet Union, etc. And I think it's a it's a cool story that I wanted to share on the podcast. Because yeah, it's a it's a sport full of cool stories like this. You should make your research or listen to the podcast when we do history episodes. <laughs> so
0: sick he was a messenger.
1: Yeah, and the fact that he was a messenger at the beginning was also Yeah. That's sick. He wrote fixed. Yeah. It, it. There was also a, a podcast with him. He was like, Yeah, so writing a fixed, it's kind of dangerous, you know. And I was like, no joke. No shit, bro. In <laughs> New York City, no shit, bro. <laughs> and he go, he goes around and is like, Yeah, if you if you stop your repelling, you stop your will. I'm like, Yeah, I know that. And then he goes on, you know, the safest way is to ride with a front brake. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, Don't kill the dream, Nelson. I wanna imagine you ripping the city with snow brakes on. Mm. But I think he works with Kenyon now. Um him he, he organized rides on the the east coast and the west coast. With canyon? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. sweet. It has like a bunch of, uh, of sponsors still, which is impressive because he... So he won like the Pan American and then he won the silver and then he got the two golds. But that's pretty much it, you know, as, as an official career. Yeah. He won many, many more races in Europe and in Japan, but official titles, that was kind of it. And there is... Other athletes that have brilliant careers and they have dozens of titles and people forget them. But for some reason, Nelson Vail will still be a legend. Kind of forever.
0: I'm telling you, it's the person.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's gold in his heart. All right. Well, uh, it is a kind of a short episode, but... I guess this is where we're going to end it short and sweet. Exactly. It's also, it's also our last summer episode. So, you know, uh, a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more, yeah, a little bit shorter. uh, And it was a, I mean, I had a great summer. It's not done, but had a great summer. And next episode is episode 64. Uh, back in September back with guests, back with everything the three of us and I think it's going to be great so you people can look forward to that Uh, it's going to be awesome in the meantime that wraps up another episode of the Slowsman Sidey podcast everything we discussed today will be in the show notes on the blog SlowsmanSidey.com along with the various articles and write-ups I post every two weeks Probably the last one that was just before this podcast is on a bike check. Yeah, a squeeze so easy. The Slow Spin Society is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you get value out of show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash Podcast to join the community. Where pledging at Inalvel will grant you access to the extended version of the podcast. It will also give you access to... All the extra episodes that we record for Patreons only. Uh, We did a video podcast with Rob and Amanda. We did um, an extra episode with Rob last time. And there is more stuff coming in September. You can also find us on our Discord server. The invite link is also in the show notes. Or with our Instagram accounts. at Lesbensidee. Rob, who is not there today, is still at QNZ.co, Amanda at Amanda C. Berger, and I go at underscore Paul underscore you. Checking the podcast with your friend is by far the easiest way to support the show by giving us a good review on the platform of your choice. The music for the show is Loveless Wendler by Maria, and the illustration is by me. Hey, just before we end this episode, I want to add a few more notes. Most of the materials we got for this episode is from a documentary that is free on YouTube. It is called Cheetah by Stephen Goger. It's a wonderful documentary. You should check that one out. And also a podcast interview by Zwift Power Up Cycling Podcast. It's called The Olympic Virtual Series. Nelson Vales. So those were the two main source for this episode, along with a few articles. Something else that we didn't talk about is International Fixed Gear Day, the 28th of August. It is coming right up in the corner of this week's podcast. When you're listening to this, we're going to do something on the Discord, some kind of event. Everybody is welcome. Uh, we haven't decided what. Uh, we haven't decided when exactly but everybody is more than welcome it will happen on our discord server it's fun over there and there's a lot of great people amanda is there one last thing you want to say about this amazing story
0: bike messengers for the win
1: for the win mission accomplished yeah
0: pixie goons for the win
1: (laughs) all right you heard that, people. And on that note, we'll see you in two weeks. Have a good one. Yeah. Bye-bye. Take
0: care, guys.